0: Hello, folks, and welcome to episode 39 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are coming to you on Tuesday, December 22nd. It is very early in the morning here in Washington, D.C. For those of you who don't know me by now, my name is Donald Wine. I am the host this week, and as always, I have my usual cohorts with me. First, in Atlanta, we have Jason Evans. What's up?
1: May the force be with you.
0: And also with you. We will talk about that in a minute. Also, we have, uh, where, I don't know where he is. Sam Klein is out here somewhere. Sam, where are you?
2: I'm uh sitting on a black leather couch in Washington, D.C., uh, northwest. Wait, um, that's,
0: I have a black couch in D.C., northwest.
2: Huh, weird. Yeah.
0: Oh, oh, Sam, oh, my God. <laughs> guys, Sam is right next to me. <laughs>
1: This feels so forced right now. <laughs> I don't care. We're running we didn't with even it.
2: write that script. Yeah, we, 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 ran just, right we just winged it. Um, so I'm going to say while we're recording now, I'll give the, the audience a fair warning. The setup that Donald and I have in his apartment to record this episode, I am speaking into one microphone and hearing myself speak about half a second later in my phone. So if it sounds like I'm hesitating the whole episode... That is uh, due to our weird audio setup this week and not because I got a lot slower.
0: Got a lot slower. Not a lot slower at all. So, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what's going on. And, uh, if,
2: and, and if you hear a... Jason e- echoing anything that I say, it's because he's trying to throw me off and he's a jerk. <laughs>
0: he's, he's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, quickly, before we get into the, the rundown, let, let's, let's talk about it. The elephant in the room. I know we all saw Star Wars. Jason. What's up, man? I, I we, we heard about you seeing it twice. Did you see it again?
1: I, I haven't yet seen it a third time, no, but I'm probably going to. I, I have to tell you. So I saw it with one of my sons, and my other son came home from college, and he was furious. I mean, so angry at me for having seen it without him. He He at first said, well, you're going to have to come with me and see it a third time. And I was like, fine <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to do that uh, but then he decided to go with friends instead because that's what 18 year olds do to their parents um so uh no i've only seen it twice so far but um cultural phenomenon everyone and their brother is going to see this movie and i think everyone who hasn't has uh, it feels like they're missing out on something so they feel like they have to it's 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 crazy it's uh i don't think the hollywood's ever seen anything like this
0: i i, I don't either it's been a long time coming. Sam, what did you think of it? I, I mean, we're giving away spoiler free anecdotes of this. It's but. too
1: late to be spoiler free.
0: Well, it, it, we're going to keep it spoiler free just for now. In next week's episode, we can talk about whatever we want. So
2: I think that's fair. I think that you need to wait at least until like people have had the Christmas break. I think a lot of people see movies on Christmas and this is probably going to be the big Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll hold off on spoilers for a week. I think that's fair. Um, but after that, we're spoiling everything. So yeah. just assume going forward with the next episode that you have to have seen Star Wars to be able to follow along with this podcast. Right, right. Which is about basketball. <laughs> okay, just making sure. Um, I saw it on uh, what was it? Wet Friday? Friday? Friday night. I think I saw it on Friday night with my mm-hmm. mom um, and uh, at a theater Aww, in DC. We got that's there. So like, sweet. Isn't that adorable? I posted a photo on Facebook. You should have seen it, Jason. Now that we're Facebook friends. Yes. Um, so I went with my mom. We got there like 45 minutes before the movie, and we had to wait behind like 100 people to get into the theater. It was insane. I loved it, though. I had such a great time. Uh, my mom had a great time. I uh, I can't wait to see it again. I almost went yesterday at the Air and Space Museum, but I couldn't get a ticket. So so,
0: so the Air and Space Museum, for those who don't know, there's 18 theaters in America that have uh, the movie in IMAX 70 millimeter, which is what the, the camera that J.J. Abrams shot the movie in. And the Air and Space Museum is one of them. So that's one of the things I, I have on my list is to see it again uh, at Air and Space and hopefully get a better take of it. Um, I, I, I loved it. I, I did not blink for two and a half hours because I did not want to miss any of the action. Um, and uh, I, it was chaos at my theater. We They had like seven showings in the span of an hour. And they had one line for all of these seven different showings. So when we got there for our viewing on Friday, we were at the back of this massive line. Uh, and we did not know which way was what. We know people were behind us probably missed the start of it because they were for a 9 o'clock show, and at 9.30 uh, realized that we were there for the 10 o'clock show um, and probably missed most of the previews but and a little bit of the uh, the opening scene. But, um, but, yeah, I loved it, and and that's what I'll say before I start giving away spoilers. How well, wait,
1: many so, times- so wait, so you, hold on. So you guys, the theaters you went to didn't have reserved seating because – In Atlanta, like, almost all the theaters have gone to reserve seating, so you know exactly where your seat is. Oh, no, no. D.C., don't do that. Oh, it's great, by the way, because the reserve seating theaters, it's all these, like, couches that you sit on, and they recline, Uh and, oh, it's amazing.
2: Sounds like being in a cabaret.
1: I don't know if I think. (laughs) Did did you just use the word cabaret? I'm sorry. No one has said cabaret to me in a long, long time.
2: Well, Jason, I'm a man of sophistication. (laughs)
1: Um, how many times do- did
2: each of you, When I, I guess for Jason, not when you saw it with the critics, but when you saw it with the uh, with the plebeians, um, how many times <laughs> in each of your showings did the audience start applauding during the movie?
1: Oh, like nine? Yeah. I mean, yeah.
2: like crazy. I, I tried counting mine the other day, and I think it was over ten.
1: Funny thing,
0: they clapped throughout the entire movie. There was no clapping at the end.
2: Oh, we had clapping at the end. Like
0: everybody was just kind of sitting there like, all right, I need to debrief and talk about what i just saw we, <laughs> like we had to go get a beer afterwards because we had to out. see what we had to talk about
2: I'll, I'll spoil the fact that the movie starts with the lucasfilm logo and then it says a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and then it shows star wars and then it and then the star and wars that phase. was the biggest applause like <laughs> yeah each of yeah. those things got its own round of applause mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right
0: we're done with star wars for now but fair warning next week Star Wars references may come up, and you cannot blame us for spoiling it. Go see the movie if you haven't already. Uh, Let's move into the big news of the week. Uh, We played on Saturday um, after most of us had seen Star Wars, um, and we played Utah at our home away from home in Madison Square Garden. It was a very tough game, back and forth, back and forth. It went to overtime where eventually we fell 77-75. Jason, I will start with you. Uh, Takeaways
1: from this game. Um. Duke is going to really struggle without Emil Jefferson. I, I don't know really? how your takeaway could be any. Yeah, I, I, that's that's far and away the biggest takeaway. Um, we were uh, we were dominated uh, by Utah on the inside, um, not just in terms of points. They killed. They just destroyed us on the boards. I mean, uh, brutal, brutal number. They out-rebounded us by 18. Um, it really, uh, you know, at, at times it felt like uh, we were – You know, we were only playing with with four guys or something like that just because we didn't have anyone who was getting on the boards for us. It was especially noticeable in the first half, I thought. Um, It got a little bit better, a little bit, not a lot, a little bit better in the second half. Um, uh, But then the other takeaway is, uh, you know, how often is Duke going to win when they shoot less than 30% from the field, less than 30% from three? They get out-rebounded by 18. I mean, if I told you those things and then I said, but the game went to overtime, you'd be like, what the hell? How did that happen? Um, I, you know, I thought we did a great job of holding on the ball. We only had five turnovers. That's a that's a big deal. It allowed us to put up a lot of shots. I, I'll tell you, it's sort of funny. You know, sometimes we talk about statistics on this show. I, for many, many, many years, have always said the statistic that I think people don't look at the, enough, that I think is tremendously important, is field goal attempts. I'm a big proponent of field goal attempts. because every time you take a shot, you have a chance to get points. And when you don't take a shot, you have no chance to get points. I know advanced metrics from Jason. (laughs) Um, But, but I really feel like field goal attempts is usually a huge statistic. I feel like it, it encompasses things like offensive rebounds and turnovers. Um, because, you know, every time you have a turnover, you don't get a shot. Every time you get an offensive rebound or rebound, you typically get an extra shot. So, like I said, I I, I love that statistic. And I really am a big believer in field goal attempts meaning something in games. Duke had, <laughs> Duke had 15 more field goal attempts. That's a lot more than Utah. Um, I, I don't think I've ever seen a team lose a game where they had 15 more field goal attempts than the other team. But we just could not put the ball in the basket. We couldn't put the ball in the basket at all. And and we really had no answer to Pirtle, their, their big man. Whenever they really needed something from him, he was able to give it to them. Uh, we 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 missed our best interior defender, our best rebounder, and and probably <clears throat> probably our best interior scorer as well. Um, uh, you know, it's going to be tough without Emil Jefferson. And, and I mean, I don't know how there's any takeaway other than that. On the good side, you know what? Wait, on the good side. Uh, it was to some extent this was Luke Kennard's coming out party and it wasn't his coming out party you know shooting the ball from the perimeter which is what we're used to uh, the way he took the ball to the hole was really impressive and and you have to feel like he and Grayson and Allen are both going to be attacking the basket so much going forward that it's going to create foul trouble for other teams and we're going to get to the line a, a, a tremendous amount that those, those are my takeaways i guess
0: yeah well the the 15 different uh, the 15 extra shots that you took that you said we took which we did 77 goal attempts to their 62 i think those 15 were the 15 or so layups that we missed or were blocked during the game and i think there's your difference right there because it seemed like at times we were doing the same play and it was working except we'd always drive all the way to the basket and either blow the may blow the layup or you know pertle or uh kuzman would uh would block it um or uh uh, kuzman uh bonham had four blocks so i i think that was kind of our our downfall and again like the very last play we, we did a great job to force an, uh force a turnover on the inbounds pass. We get the ball down low. Ingram turns around and loses man underneath and wide open layup and we miss it. And I was like, started laughing because I'm like, of course, for this game, that would be what kills us is the blown layups. Um, but uh, that is kind of my takeaway. Other than what you, you mentioned, Sam, what do you think?
2: So I was at the game on Saturday in New York, and on the drive back to D.C. from New York, I was just having flashbacks of Matt Jones and Grayson Allen running down the middle of the court, throwing the ball up right underneath the basket, and then having the ball disappear from sight because that seemed like every play in the second half. We weren't creative on offense, and especially without Emil Jefferson there, kind of to bail out the drivers. Um, you know, there's no one there for... Uh, for the drivers to dump off to. I think this team really struggles on offense more than it was struggling before. Not that not that I want to call what was going on before struggling. I want to say that it was uncreative, and it's even less creative now because they don't have that Emil Jefferson outlet there for them. Um, so as Jason mentioned, Luke Kennard was really good. I think this is the second game where we've really seen him show a variety of offensive skills. Hopefully that becomes a regular occurrence for him, but everybody else just couldn't put the ball in the basket, and it was from all over the court too. It, it's... It's disappointing that it ha- had to happen so many times under the basket. Um, so we'll see. I think that this Utah team is a good team. They're probably not the, like, four seed or so that people expected them to be at the beginning of the year. But um, they're still pretty talented. They're going to get a lot of wins in the Pac-12, and they'll end up being in the tournament as a single-digit seed. So losing to them in one game like this is, is not great. I mean, this is something you'd expect from maybe, like, a second-round game in the tournament if Duke is a top-three seed. So these sorts of things happen, but Emil Jefferson hopefully comes back before the tournament. And if Emil Jefferson's in this game, I think it's a ten-point swing. I think that a lot of those bad layups are bailed out by Emil Jefferson being there and being able to turn those points into like the you know the, all those creative points that he normally has under the basket. So um, from that perspective, I thought you know oh well um, on defense. I think that the team could have played a lot better, and I think that that's where you really feel Emil Jefferson's. Oh yeah! Absence oh yeah! Yeah. So there were a lot of times where the ball ended up under the hoop, and you can tell that Marshall Plumley is programmed a very specific way for defense. There's a lot of times where you can see the gears turning in his head, and it's like this is what coach wants me to do right now, and I can't deviate from the plan. There's a you know where he where he kind of turns around and sort of half looks as somebody runs by him and, and has a layup, and I don't know, hopefully he can fix that, but I don't know if he can at this point in his career. He's a graduate student. So that's, I think, where Emil Jefferson's absence was felt the most down low because Plumlee didn't really have anybody to help him. And then up top where Jefferson is able to guard on the perimeter and we didn't have his length. So the only guy who's exceptionally long on the perimeter in Jefferson's absence is Brandon Ingram and he's still a freshman, especially on defense and can't handle the workload that Emil Jefferson can. So I think that both sides of the ball really struggle without Jefferson and we'll see going forward. I mean, we didn't see chase Jeter a lot in this game. He only played six minutes. Maybe he gets more minutes going forward because we need that size, especially against some bigger ACC teams, like maybe Carolina. Um, so
1: hold on, I got, a, I got a question. How many time, how many teams are going to play that are really bigger and more of a threat inside than Utah? Uh, very few.
2: Carolina is uh, one of them. Yeah. Uh, NC yeah, State's but, probably another.
1: Yeah. but um, it's my point is Chase Jeter could only get six minutes in this game and and, and really didn't do much of anything. Committed a couple of fouls. I'm, committed a couple of turnovers. I'm, I think
2: I'm holding judgment on how Chase Jeter is going to be used because I think that the coaching staff was still trying to play with not using him. I think they'd prefer to have the smaller lineup. It's weird, though, because they only played six guys major minutes, and that's going to be a problem in the ACC, which every year it feels like is getting more physical and more like Virginia. Sorry, Virginia. Uh, but yeah. we'll, uh, we'll see. I, I think that Chase Jeter will find more minutes for himself. If, if, he's, if he's more confident, he'll stay on the floor more because playing six guys just doesn't seem sustainable for this team, especially given that, what, three of them are freshmen? Or two, I guess, yeah, three of them are freshmen, and the fourth of the seven. So three of the six are freshmen. Four mm-hmm. of the seven would be freshmen. Um, it's, and we're it's, not
0: going to have Grayson Allen with the flu every game. Hopefully. That's true. That's true. Uh, he's not going to go three for 18 every game. like that. I think that was uh, a major uh, – he battled through in the second half. In the first half, you could tell he was really out of it um and and that might have uh I don't know if he's kind of one of those guys that, that that the team looks at and says if he's not doing well then then what are we doing here it's kind of seemed like an, at times in the first half they were trying to rally him more than trying to get points on the board and he you know he just his body just wasn't up up for the task and it's that happens that you know you know the it's flu season but uh uh it was kind of unfortunate that it all kind of Came together in one in one game.
2: I didn't know that he had the flu until about halfway through, and my dad and I both thought we were like, "He doesn't look right."
0: Oh, he looked terrible in the yeah. first half. Like, so
2: even without knowing it, yeah, it, it
0: looked he looked like—I like, mean, he looked like he had lost a few pounds, you know, just because
1: he yeah, hasn't yeah. eaten or anything like that. But he, I mean, you yeah, know, yeah. Hey, yeah, hey, yeah. hey guys, I, I, I want to talk about Derek Thornton for a second. Oh, um, please, yeah, I, you know, really did not have a very good game offensively, and I'm I'm starting to get a little concerned. Um, he was two of thirteen from the field, which is bad. Um, uh, but it wasn't just that he was two of thirteen. He missed a tremendous number of close. Sh- he missed one uncontested layup. Um, but he missed a tremendous number of of close in shots. I, I sort of thought that he was rounding into a guy who was going to finish really well around the basket. He certainly gets in the lane and gets to the to the rim really, really well. I mean, that's uh, to me, that's his strength so far. But man, he is not finishing at all. And, you know, on the season, he's only hitting 38% of his shots from the field. And, like, he's shooting well from three point range. He's hitting 43% of his three pointers. Where there was sort of some concern as to whether or not he was a good outside shooter. He's, he showed himself to be a very nice outside shooter. It's, it's the shots from close in the shots from inside of five or seven feet that he's really struggling with. And, and, you know, it, it was an issue for Duke in, in this game. Um, and, and I worry, you know, going forward, he, he's going to have to play big minutes. Uh, Cause you know, I've been saying our, our bench is not that deep. um And, and that's something, you know, God, it, it's tough to adjust from high school to the college game you know for all kinds of guys but i, I just feel like thornton is really uh, it may be struggling a little more than we expected he would
0: yeah well I, I i mean i feel like with with jefferson being out as as long as another month is what the report came out just after the game uh it's going to be the learning curve for him is going to have to be shortened very very quickly uh, it's something that we've dealt with in previous years and and other players have been able to handle it um uh, but the question is will he be able to handle it can he uh you know this is a, a bad way of saying it but can he grow up you know very very quickly because we're going to need him uh in the, in the next month or so especially as we enter ACC play and we're playing you know
1: two three times a week so yeah and and uh, and you talk about growing up i mean we've said it many times let's not forget uh, the the guy uh, matriculated a year early he's very very young um even for a freshman He's right.
2: actually older than two of the other freshmen on the team, but 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 <laughs> but just together. in general, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Well, that's because we have some crazy young freshmen. I mean, Chase yeah. Jeter, uh, uh, Chase Jeter, in, in a lot of basketball, you know, factory kind of programs would probably still be a sophomore or something like that. Right. Not a college sophomore. I mean, a, a high school sophomore. Um, the way right. some of these guys get back, yeah.
0: Yeah. Do we have anything else on on Utah before we? Uh...
2: Um, no, I think i I think we covered it well. I enjoyed watching Utah um, outside of them beating my team. I liked watching them play. Mm-hmm. so um, like
0: I, I thought I wasn't even like I wasn't truly one hundred percent disappointed at the effort we had in that game because we fought hard to get back. we we battled, you know, a lot of different things. and in the end it's just kind of like, oh man, we could have we we could have taken it if we yeah. had done this, this, but it wasn't like I'm really disappointed in our performance because I thought across the board it was a very quality back and forth basketball game. And if you were a neutral fan who had no, you know, like allegiance to either team, it would have been a game that you would have appreciated watching.
2: I I guess there's, there's one thing we learned from this game that my dad and I learned, which is that when Duke plays these games in New York in December, you don't need to buy tickets ahead of time. The place was maybe 70% full. Um, So lesson learned. If anyone's going to go to those New York games, uh, don't buy tickets ahead of time, just show up or buy them on stuff up that day because they get a lot cheaper.
1: Yeah, you Anything know kind of it was kind of interesting um, during the game they said that Duke's record in Madison Square Garden was twenty-eight and eight. I think that was the number they said. Someone's yeah. going to call me after being twenty-eight, eight. 28 and eight. <clears throat> uh, I was struck by that. I, I, my bet is there's no, there's no no place else um, outside of you know ACC home courts where Duke has lost eight games. Um, in the country. In fact, I'm, I, I'd be almost certain of that. Um, and to be honest, uh, you know, considering Duke's, uh, you know, always going to be playing a non-conference game when they play in Madison Square Garden, I'm surprised. 28-8 and 8 is, uh, you know, granted we're going to be playing quality opponents most of the time, um, but 28-8, and 8, uh, you, you, Duke is usually way better than that. Um, so MSG is not a, uh, a particularly great place for us. I, you know, I think a lot of those games are games against St. John in the past and we we did used to struggle against St. John's, um, uh, especially when we played them up uh, up in their place, which was MSG.
0: Yeah, but you know we I, I think we you know we don't play many places outside of the ACC 37 times, so we've had plenty of opportunities to win and lose in the Garden, and I guess in that respect, it is home away from home. But 28 and eight when or 28 and nine, I guess now um, against really top quality opponents is is probably not sort of bad thing because you know we are playing there at least once a year but
2: uh and i appreciate you know a lot of commentators and other fans like to talk about oh duke doesn't play any true road games but as we mention every year there are no true road games in the tournament. Even when we have to play in the state of North Carolina with a bunch of Carolina fans around, we're usually playing in bigger venues like the Greensboro Coliseum, where the sight lines are different and the interaction with the fans is different. So as much as possible, I want Duke playing games like in Madison Square Garden or at the United Center, because those are the kinds of places that Duke's going to be playing tournament games in the first and second weekend. So they should get used to playing those sorts of games. Honestly. The ACC season is less of a preparation for the tournament than a game against Utah at Madison Square Garden is because that's that's a tournament game. That's what a tournament game looks like. That's that very well could be our round of thirty-two game this year. Not mm-hmm. not it won't be because we already played them. But that that's what that's the sort of team we'll play, and that's the kind of venue we're going to be playing in. So I want I want to see more games like that, or not more. I mean, we play plenty of them, but I want to see games like that. And that that's the those are the sorts of games that give the team experience that I think is most relevant in translating to the tournament.
1: I concur. Let's move on. Let's, let's do preview, it. <laughs> let's preview what's coming up. What's All right. Coming
2: so,
0: up us? well, coming up this week, we have absolutely nothing because it's Christmas and we have a little break, but coming up after Christmas, it, we really start getting in the swing of things. We have three games on the 28th. We play Elon on the 30th. We play Long Beach state and then ACC season finally opens up on Saturday, January 2nd. We will take on Boston college, um, Jason, I know you had some stuff about Elon, so I will kick it to you first.
1: Yeah, I just want to very quickly say um, uh, Elon uh, is not that bad a team. They're not great, but um, they're one of the better teams in the CAA conference. They're currently 9-3 and three on the season. Um, no, no impressive uh, wins, but um, some of their losses are decent. They only lost by 10 points at Syracuse. I mean, that's not a bad result. Um, they lost by twenty points to Michigan. Um, they lost uh, by four points to Texas and M Corpus Christi. Those are the three games they've lost. Um, uh, and 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 they're basically, You know, it's sort of typical of some of one of these sort of smaller conference teams that when Duke plays them, um, they're they're a bunch of guards, you know, like guys between 6'2", 6'3", and like 6'5", 6'6", 6'7". They're not a very big team. They got a couple bigger guys, but those guys don't really play very much. You know, all their rebounds are like guys who are 6'4", to Um, 6'6". In that regard, it could be a good game for Duke's big men, especially perhaps Chase Jeter. To you know, begin to assert themselves a little bit more, and and uh, uh, and and sort of find some confidence, and and find a, uh, a an established role for them, which which we all know is so important with Emil being gone. Um, uh, the only guy on their team who uh, who seems like he could be a real threat is a a six, four senior wing named Tanner Sampson averages about 15 points a game and shoots a ton of three pointers, takes about eight threes a game, makes 43% of them. So he's, he's a good shooter from outside. And I imagine, you know, Elon's hope in this game is that they don't turn the ball over a lot because they've got lots of guards, lots of guys who can handle the ball and that they bomb away from three and that they get some of them. I mean, you know, look, let's be, let's be realistic, uh, Dukes, I I think it's up to 5,644 game win streak, non-conference win streak in Cameron. I kid, it's not, it's in the 200s, low 200s, but um, Duke's non-conference win streak is probably not going to end this week. Slowly uh, but surely. Slowly but yeah. surely. Yeah. Um, so that, that's that's my preview of Elon. I, and like I say, I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing, hopefully, our, our big men, um, you know, get a little bit uh, better and, and more assertive and and uh, not just take advantage of their height, but but actually um, look like they can succeed against ACC opponents. Sam, you have anything on these upcoming three games?
2: Uh, well, Elon's logo sort of looks like a warped version of the uh, Rebellion logo from Star Wars. So that's my preview <laughs> for Elon.
1: They're um, the Phoenix, out... the Elon Phoenix. Yeah, the, yeah, the Elon Phoenix.
2: So the phoenix, it, it, it's kind of like turned and and squished, and but it, it looks like the the circle with the star coming out of it. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, that's my preview for Elon. Uh, Long Beach State is terrible, so if we don't beat them, that's a real problem. They for some reason played Oklahoma State twice this season. Uh, it must have been they must have been one of those exempt tournaments, um, and then they also had a scheduled game with them or something because that doesn't normally happen. Um, And then Boston College has been underwhelming this year. They do have a win against Tommy Amaker's Harvard squad that I believe I watched a little bit of. uh, It was back in November. Um, But they've got losses to schools like Santa Clara and UMass Lowell. Um, They did lose to a good Providence team, uh, which is fine. Providence has been one of the best teams in the country, I think, this year. And they've got Chris Dunn, who's played out of his mind. But um, these are three games that Duke should be winning. I think that, um, you know, there's... I don't think there's a lot to take away from any of them this week. Although we do want to see how much Chase Cheater plays and we want to see how much better the defense can get. Um, But I think it's just kind of a a watch and and wait thing for this team. I think that the schedule gets a lot harder after two weeks from now, which I guess is what we're previewing. Um, So wait and see. Uh, It's a bummer that we have this week off without any games, but the ACC season is right around the corner. So there's going to be a lot of good opponents coming up very soon.
1: Yeah. I want to, Really quick, I want to point out, BC is um, far and away the worst team in the ACC. And, and it's, it's you know, maybe my memory isn't that good. It's sort of been a while since we had an ACC team that appeared to be this bad. Um, like, bomb. Yeah, I was going to say, they're not even in the top 200 in Pomeroy's rankings. And you just don't see that from the ACC. It's like, I think the next... Lowest ACC team is Virginia Tech, who's like 108 in Ken Palm or something like that. I mean, basically, if you're in the ACC and you're not in the top 125, it's a huge surprise. And BC's number 210. <clears throat> That's bad. It's yeah, it's like playing yeah, it's like playing a uh, you know a a, a, a mid major you know a smaller conference team. They're they're just not not on the usual ACC level. I think it's fair to say that Elon might be the best team
0: we play next week uh, of the three games. So, yes, uh, I, I,
1: that's probably accurate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I, I mean, from, from my takeaway, it's let's see how we can tool our lineup and let's see, you know, how these guys respond under what will hopefully be less pressure, um, less pressure games. But, uh, you know, ACC, it, the only thing about Boston college I'll say is it's ACC season. And so once that kicks up, it doesn't matter who you play. They're always going to give us, uh, our best shot. And they're always a team that could actually knock us off. So, um, I don't. I don't think that we should take them too lightly, but uh, which I don't think Coach K and and the staff will. But I, I'm re- really interested to see how uh, how the team responds after the loss um, with the lineups and how that works out and and who plays where um, and what kind of lineups that we see against these teams because I think these are going to be kind of practice games for uh, the ACC season that we have. Which really, we have two seasons now. We're going to have the ACC season we have with Emil Jefferson, and then the ACC season
1: we have once he gets back. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how we start that off. One last really quick thing I want to add about BC: um, they do, they are an experienced team. Two of their best players are uh, Eli Carter and Dennis Clifford. Um, Eli Carter, by the way, is uh, he's twenty-five, um, and the, BC is like his third team. I mean, he played for Rutgers for a little while now he's at bc for reference guy's like, i'm only 26. yeah the guys played all over the hey when's your birthday his birthday is may of 1991. he was born exactly two years after me yeah okay all right wow. so wait so he's what 24 day? sorry he's uh, may 6th
2: oh wow like very close
1: <laughs> <laughs> you and eli carter celebrating a birthday together so i, I mean anyway he's i mean this is a guy who's been around college basketball for a long time um and and in fact uh you know their their center their big man Dennis Clifford who is 7-1 um who's another center he's like 23 um 22 or 23 or something like that so they they've got guys who who are men <laughs> um and and it'll be interesting to see how our very 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 young team um uh you know aside from uh, MP3, and Matt Jones, uh, you know, see how our, our very young team sort of takes on a a, a more experienced, um, senior-laden uh, group of men uh, in Boston College.
2: To be fair, Matt Jones look, does look like he's 37. Right, this no, is don't true. Give, I
1: mean, I wouldn't give him that much credit. I'd say
2: he, <laughs> I'm 33.
0: I'd say he's about my age. Uh, but yeah, no, he, he, he looks like a grown man.
1: He's got that Robert Parrish look about him. That's right. That's great too, because Bob yeah, Parrish was a beast,
2: and he only looks and he only looks about half as old as uh, what's his face on uh, Kansas Perry Ellis.
0: Oh, Perry Ellis! Oh, yeah. is, <laughs> Perry is collecting Social Security checks. He's, <laughs> he's also Perry been All- in college for forty-seven years.
2: <laughs> you know, like he's he he defies that that joke about people always make about the like the oldest white guy in college is always the guy who's been in college forever. Perry Ellis has actually been in college forever, and he's yeah. not the oldest white guy.
0: Yeah, so. <laughs> Terry yeah, Ellis but, and Kobe Bailey have come, been in college combined
1: 237 yeah. years. But none of them are as old as Greg Oden, who I'm convinced <laughs> was – yeah, Greg Oden was um, collecting his NBA pension while he was still in college. I mean, that dude – oh, my God. He was only in college one year. Um, all right, yeah. so
2: looking ahead at these three games, one like quick uh, prediction thing. Over under 10 minutes combined for all the guys outside the top seven.
1: In all 100. three games,
2: in all three games total.
1: Oh, total. Oh, over, over. Oh. All right. I think we see OB for. What do you think, do you think the total?
2: Minutes. What do you think the total number is?
1: Uh, I'm going to go like 18. Okay. I'll go 20.
2: And I guess to maybe clarify it a little better, how many of those minutes will occur where the game is within a 20 point difference? Zero. I mean, like
1: you know, they may come. Look, they, it may be a, an 18 point game with a minute left, and they might come in. I mean, that's not. I don't know that we're revealing anything. All that—that's that, what league. I'm trying
2: to get at. I'm, I'm trying to wonder if if the the strategy changes at all with the top seven being the only guys who play because we're, we're down to se- it's it's seven dudes, right? Yeah, and that's it at this point. Um, if we're considering Obi sort of not part of the equation and and Frankovic not part of the I, equation,
1: I think that they're I not. Think I, think th- I think they're ab- they're not part of the equation. I mean, you look. I'd I, look. I would love for one of those guys to suddenly you know have the light come on um but i think it's not going to
2: yeah and i think this is the last week when it could it possibly could like i agree with you i think there's like a 5% chance that the strategy changes and they play more barring not you know no more major injuries if there's another major injury perhaps you know just because we need to have guys on the floor um one of those guys starts to play but i think this is the last week where it's possible that the coaching staff decides to change up the strategy after this the the opponents get too difficult
1: so but Yeah, although it, it is it is definitely worth noting that, you know, at this point a year ago, um, Grayson Allen basically wasn't playing. I mean, he was, you know, he was getting his true. two, three, you know, four minutes maybe mm-hmm. at the most, most largely only in, in blowouts. I mean, there were, uh, you know, when we had competitive games, close games early in the season, he wasn't playing at all. true. true. But we
2: didn't realize that a player was going to get kicked off the team at his position.
1: Right.
0: So... All right, let's leave basketball for just a minute and preview what will be the game of the week for Duke fans, and that is the Pinstripe Bowl. We are playing the Pinstripe Bowl on Saturday, December 26th. We take on Indiana, and it will be at the historic, well, the new historic Yankee Stadium. Uh, I will kick it to Sam first. Sam, what are your thoughts on the game? What do you expect to see? I know Jeremy Cash is out, so what do you expect to see on offense and defense?
2: Yeah, that's a bummer that Jeremy Cash is out, honestly. Um for a variety of reasons, the the biggest of which is that we don't get to see him play in his last college game. I think the other problem is that um, Indiana is actually a decent passing team. Um, they Their starting quarterback, Nate Sudfeld, averages uh, almost eight and a half yards per attempt. So um, they're pretty efficient passing the ball. And I would love to have seen Jeremy Cash against their passing attack, um, be it You know, sacking that quarterback or being back and and prepared to cover the guys who are um, who are going to catch those balls. Um, So it's a bummer that we don't get to see Jeremy Cash. I understand that, you know, he needs to rehab his wrist and he needs to be prepared for the NFL draft. That's where he's going to make his money. So, um, you know, no, no issues to him. I think the team is excited for this game. I think that they are, as we mentioned, when we when we got this assignment a couple weeks ago, the team is ready to win this bowl game. They've been waiting for this for a few years. They've had some heartbreaking losses, and um, I think that you know stopping that Indiana passing attack is going to be important for the Duke defense. I think that the Duke offense is kind of up and down. The Indiana defense is not something amazing, so um, expect this to be a, a. I think it's. I think I thought before this was going to be a low-scoring game. I think this actually might be sort of an average kind of scoring game. And um, we'll see if David Cutcliffe can draw up some interesting stuff to uh, to you know put Indiana on their heels and uh, hopefully finally win this bowl game. I think that this is, um, by a little bit of a margin, the worst team that we've played in the bowl game. I think that Cincinnati team from a few years ago might be maybe comparable. But Texas a and Arizona State from the last two years were way, way better than this Indiana team is. And so I think the Duke can finally get that victory here uh, in the
1: Pinstripe Bowl. Hey, Just do, you guys, do, you think? do you guys know what the the Vegas line on the game is? I mean, Vegas is always it's smart. Like Vegas, Indiana
2: by like two, right?
1: Yeah, Indiana is about a two and a half point pick, um, which surprised me a little bit to see that. I think a lot of that's a reflection of the fact that um, Duke's season didn't end very well. We we were you know certainly more highly regarded and and looked better prior to uh, um, Granted, the, neither the did Indiana's. Right, 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 right.
0: This is true. I, I think that's more think Big Penn Ten rated higher than ACC, and I think that's probably your
1: two point difference. Right. So uh, I was doing a little, I was looking at this game a little bit and I came across a SB Nation, of course, the Duke Basketball Report is part of the SB Nation. Thanks guys. Um, I came across an SB Nation site that had football advanced metrics. Now, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, efficiency and other advanced metrics uh, in if, basketball. Do you I, guys I know. Wait, you think, can I method? interrupt you
2: real quick? Yeah. If
1: yeah. you're not reading
2: Bill Connolly, for um, advanced football analysis on SB Nation, then you aren't really an advanced dork college football fan. Continue.
1: Well, and this this is a this is Bill Connolly's stuff about the Duke-Indiana game. Um, I didn't even know some of these statistics existed. Do you guys know what S&P is?
2: Uh, yeah, it's a combined uh, ranking from a variety of um, football dork sites. Uh,
1: it's like unreal. I started reading yeah. this stuff. I sort of got lost in it. It's pretty it's cool. Really great. Uh, S&P is like success rate and uh, points per possession and stuff like that, or points per play. I, I can't, I, I'm i having trouble figuring all of it out, but it's really cool and really interesting.
2: One of, the, one of the greatest things that Bill Connolly does is that he previews every team before the season, but he does them one per day. So there are like 125 teams in college football, which means that the previews start in like, February, maybe. Um, so I, I, I know because I, I read some of his work and I follow him on Twitter. Sometime in like mid-February, he'll tweet out. He'll be like, all right, now it's time to start my preview for like the Mountain West or whoever it is. And it's like, wait a minute, football season just ended. Like, why are we doing this now? So anyway, sorry. Continue, Jason.
1: Well, I was just I I don't have much more to add other than I've gotten lost in all these statistics. Things like um, uh, standard downs sack rate and adjusted sack rate, and passing S P. All these uh, passing explosiveness. Um, apparently, Indiana has a really high passing explosiveness, and Duke has a really low passing explosiveness number. I, I don't even know what any of these things are, but they're really cool and really fun, and I'll put a link on the board so people can can come read about this a little bit. I I apologize for not being a football stats geek the way I am a basketball stats geek, But um, uh, and Bill Conley, uh, his his advanced metrics show Indiana winning 32 to 29. So I hope he's wrong. I hope so, advanced so it's,
2: after wrong. So it's basically a toss up right. after, yeah. after pages and pages of, of advanced yes. stats.
1: Yes. Too long That's, didn't read. This is a toss up. Actually, you know what? Wait, wait the, the one thing we haven't mentioned, um, which is a really, really significant thing in this game. Uh, we talked a lot about that, Indiana being a very good passing team, a very good, uh, you know, having a very good quarterback who will be playing on Sundays. Um, the guy Duke has who's going to be playing on Sundays is out for this game. Uh, Jeremy Cash, Jeremy Cash, um, uh, it, you know, is is his career at Duke is done. He got hurt, uh, and it's uh, you know, it's it's just awful. I I hate that this guy who really was integral um, uh, in in helping to bring the program you know back into national prominence. Uh, his, his final game at Duke has been played, um, and it wasn't um, the final bowl game, because you know Jeremy Cash would have left everything, everything out on that field for that last game, and, and uh, he was the leader of the defense. And I'm bummed he's not going to be there, and, and uh, that that's going to have an impact. That has to have an impact on the game.
0: Yeah, and I think you know the one one thing that I'm looking at is as as Sam alluded to, this team is ready to win this game. You know, we've been in this is our fourth straight bowl game. So we have a senior class who has been to a bowl game each of their four years, the, the, the true seniors, and they have not won yet. So this is like the last piece of their puzzle. We, I, I know we've talked about this a couple of weeks, um, but this is the last piece of their puzzle. They've, they've won a coastal division. They've gotten to the ACC championship game. They've played in bowl games. They've restored. Uh, they basically created a pro a new program, a new identity for uh, this program. And the one thing they have left to do is actually win a bowl game. So, you know, Throwing out all the you know you know even with the stats and the the metrics and all that stuff, the one thing I just want to see is to to see those seniors hoist the, the pinball or pinstripe bowl trophy uh, at the end of the game because we've won. So you um, know it, it'll be a good game. It's actually going to be. One of those games that we thought was going to be really cold, but because the entire grit eating world is in a heat wave is probably going to be what in the you know close to 70 on like Saturday that, uh, in New York City. So um, that'll be an interesting dynamic where we actually might see a lot of uh, passing because it will be so warm. Um, but I, I think other than that, like that, I think it's going to be one of those games that will be in the 30s. It'll be one of those exciting once again, those exciting games back and forth. Uh, that we've been used to seeing in our bowl games in the last couple of years, uh, I just hope that we're at the the right end of it th- this time around because I think these guys deserve it.
1: Agreed. All right.
0: <laughs> and there, and there, there we, we go. go. So again, uh, if you're if you're tuning in, it's Saturday, December twenty sixth. It is a three thirty kick on the East Coast. Uh, so check your list. That believe we're on ABC. So that's the big network. So even if you're a cord cutter, you should be able to get this game pretty easily. Uh, But moving on, we're going to shift slightly back to basketball. We have to talk about the new SportsCenter late-night commercials featuring Coach K and his grandsons. Um, There's two now. Um, The first one, um, if you guys have not seen them, I I believe ESPN has them all over the place. Um, And they're all over your TV set. The first one has Coach K uh, watching a highlight of Justice Winslow dunking in the NBA. And he tells his grandson to send a text uh, to Justice saying he's playing really well and he's jumping high and he's shooting well and then he's proud of him and his grandson only sends emojis. No, no, but do you, do you know what his
1: grandson? He sends two flames, two, <laughs> 100s. like that. You know <laughs> two, the whole thing. Yes. it's two flames, two one hundreds, three biceps. You know, three. Yeah. You know, three biceps and then a basketball. In a basketball and Justice Winslow sends back another string of emojis, just I, emojis. I, I didn't. I didn't track those. I don't know what. And
0: those were. and. Joey, the uh, grandson, says, he says, thanks, Pop-Pop. And he's like, okay, that's nice. Um, But the second one now is – The second was hysterical. The second one's (laughs) even better. So it's about Kyrie Irving coming back, and Scott Van Pella saying the X-Factor is returning to Cleveland. And he sends an emoji, uh, or he sends a text to Kyrie that says the X-Factor is back. But instead of the X-Factor, he has the emoji of a girl doing the
2: x
1: <laughs> and
0: all Kyrie sends back is a question mark. <laughs> and and Coach K just looks at this and puts his phone back down on the ground very forcefully. Uh and that's the entire commercial. It's it's hilarious if you have not seen them. Uh Sam,
2: what did you think? I know you've seen them. I wonder how much Coach K understands it all about what went on in the commercials. <laughs> like they were just scripted for him and he was like, you know what? I, like, I'll have my grandson screen it because they're going to be in the, the commercials anyway. If they think it's okay, then I'll just do it. Whatever. I don't care. Yeah. Because um, something tells me that Coach K isn't necessarily up on all the lingo and the emojis and the whole communication system that teenagers use. Um, I would bet that when it comes to recruiting that Jeff Cable and John Shire are, like, a little bit better about about those kinds of things than he is. Um, but he, he plays along well with it. Um, you know, it, it it the the new Sports Center at night of the Sports Center late night commercials mm-hmm. kind of have that awkward feeling to them, like the the one with the Curry family where yeah. Steph is sitting in Dell's seat. Um, so this fits perfectly with them. I think the Coach K was a really good sport for doing them this way. I'm sure that he was compensated appropriately for them. Um, but they are pretty funny. Uh, I I'm I did I think Jason was reading out the whole emoji string. I would like to understand the direct tra- translation. Because um, I don't think I'm enough up on the emoji game to to understand it all, but uh, but I liked it. I thought they were fun. Yeah, um, but you know I'd rather have commercials with Duke guys than not Duke guys. So
1: right. Well, and, and <laughs> Jay, you mentioned you mentioned compensation. I think uh, I think the compensation to Coach K, and again, I, you know, ESPN probably paid them something, um, but I think the compensation to Coach K is you're cool, you're hip, and the commercials are about you and about Duke and about Duke alumni in the NBA and. Everybody watches you know, not in them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody watches SportsCenter. Um, I'm much happier when the SportsCenter commercials are about Duke guys than when they're about Carolina guys or Kentucky guys or Kansas guys. Um, it's a you know it's good for us as a program. Um, so that's the big compensation uh, as far as as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the commercials are very very funny. And um, uh, I, I, by the way, I bet Coach K knows more about emojis and texting than you might think. Um, right. I was gonna say that too. Uh, you know, it goes back to uh, you guys are going to laugh, and I'm going to date myself a little bit. When Quinn Snyder um, was a, uh, a a fairly new assistant coach for Coach K um, back in the '90s, Quinn started really getting uh, into advanced metrics and computers and computer st- uh, statistical modeling and things like that, and um, and and really dragged Coach K. I've heard the story from some some people who uh, you know somewhat on the inside, um, dragged Coach K somewhat kicking and screaming into um, the the sort of modern era uh, at a time before a lot of other programs were doing that kind of stuff and and every so often we'll hear about you know Duke was was I believe the first school in the country to install like sports view cameras. To, to monitor and track every single thing that happens on every single play and, you know, how far players move and and speed of player movement and of shots and stuff like that. I mean, Duke has been um, uh, on the cutting edge technologically in college basketball for a long, long time, far and away uh, ahead of any other team out there. Um, I, and I say all this uh, to say that I bet Coach K does know what two flames, a pair of hundreds, three biceps, and a basketball means. <laughs> He probably does. I was going to say that it, it, it played on the, the
0: whole fact that, you know, if you think he's about it, he's stuff. yeah, he's old and, and he's, you know, he's been around for a long time and he may not know all the lingo, but even that second commercial where he was like, oh, guys, come on now, I can send a text. This is simple. And he sends the wrong emoji and
2: leads Kyrie to be like, what, what are you talking about, coach? I know that he's... I think that's, that, was, he's that was hilarious. admitted somewhere, like on a radio interview or something, that he has a Twitter account. He just doesn't share it. It's like a, you know, a. Yeah. Um, he just use it, uses it to follow all the relevant things that he cares about. Right. So I suppose he sees those things on a regular basis. I'm just skeptical that he uses them.
0: He 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 mentioned it was, I think it was on his Serious XM show. He mentioned okay. that he uses it to follow the players, but not even the players know yeah. who it is. And he's like, you could try and find me and you will never know that yeah. this particular account is me. And he's like, he never tweets from it or anything like that. But he he has an account just to kind of and, keep tabs. And, and
2: there are probably hundreds, if not thousands, of accounts who follow all the Duke players and a lot of NBA guys and all the recruiting sites. Right. And so you would never be able to figure it out, right? Yeah, I, I bet
1: I, I bet he's like at Coach J, not Co- you know. That's that'd be tricky. See, it wouldn't be that easy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 it, it's probably just like a, a picture of some random blonde woman, mm-hmm. um, and you know whose name is like Penelope or something. Yeah. And that's his. That's his Twitter handle.
0: The search for the Holy Grail. If anybody can find Coach K's Twitter account, you might win the entire Internet and all all of all of the, the meats and cheeses in the land.
2: And then he would probably
0: have a new account. Yeah. <laughs> probably. <laughs> uh, so, guys, it's Christmas week. Uh, you know, we, we're we getting getting down to the final days before Christmas, which is Friday. Uh Let's talk about our Christmas wish list. I know some people out there celebrate Hanukkah. Um, we hope <laughs> you had a great Hanukkah. Um, and you can give a Hanukkah gift if you want as well. I know it's a little bit late, but I'm sure the, the team will appreciate eight it.
2: Eight more wins for Duke this season. Eight more wins <laughs> is fine. Well,
0: I, I'd like more than eight wins because I, I think I put us at 35 in our little prediction thing. But right. uh, let's start with you, Jason. Do you have any? Do you have anything you want to give to the, uh, the
1: team uh, for Christmas? Well, <clears throat> um, the thing I'd love to give the team is uh, – for Chase Jeter to begin to really come into his own um, and uh, uh, you know, be able to be more confident and successful offensively, um, be able to be a little more instinctive about how he gets to the ball defensively and especially rebounding. Um, and, and the biggest thing would be that he defensively starts to move a little bit better, communicate a little bit better. It's so important for the back guy, the back line of that defense to be able to talk to everybody else. Um, that may be asking for an awful, awful lot. But that would be the Christmas gift that I think would have the most meaningful impact on uh, Duke's basketball success going forward. And then sort of the other Christmas gift that, you know, this isn't a big thing wrapped under the tree. This is just in everyone's stocking um, hung from the mantle with care. Uh, This is the time of year. um, I guess we sort of already passed this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, This is the time of year where suddenly something crops up and you're like, oh, no um you know player x has some academic problems and is going to miss some time as a result uh because we're getting you know we're, we're getting exam results and we're getting um uh you know uh, first semester grades uh, so i would wish as I do every year, that these kids should have great success in the classroom. Um, it's about a lot more than just what goes on on the court. Um, their experience at Duke uh, also involves what goes on in classes. There's no question about that. And so I'm wishing for all of them to get nice, good grades and, uh, and, and be successful uh, in that way, uh, as well as uh, on the court. Sam, what do you think?
2: Uh, I would like to give the program a brand new uh, foot and toe and ankle recovery program. And and uh, injury prevention program because I am sick of this madness of every couple years having a major Duke player go down with a foot or toe or ankle injury, um, you know. Best of luck to Emil Jefferson specifically in getting his new foot or whatever is wrong with him. Um, but I think the program needs a new lower extremities uh, healing and prevention uh, injury prevention program.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say I was just gonna give Emil my my foot. Uh, for the next month, because my foot is fine, um, but uh, <laughs> it's and it, not quite it, as big as it is. It's not quite as big. It might be a little awkward, but it, it'll 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 help. It'll help. But uh, I think the the one thing I want to give was confidence to uh, Brandon Ingram, and I'm not Brandon Ingram. Um, uh, Derek Thornton, and I think his confidence is going to be key as we enter the season. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, him having to grow up a little bit fast uh, in the next couple weeks. Um, but I just want to give him that confidence that he is a great player and that we need him. We're going to really need him in this next month, especially over this next month when we are kind of strapped for players. Um, I think that will help us going forward, and I think that's going to help the entire team. So, you know, a, a, along with all the other things, along with health and prosperity for all, uh, I would like to give a little bit, a dose of confidence to Derek Thornton. You are the man. Go out there and get yours. And I think before we do parting shots, uh, we have player of the game. We're going to do that really quickly. Um, So, Jason, who is your player of the game? I know we only had one since our last uh, podcast.
1: Well, obviously, it's really easy to pick Luke Kennard, but I'm guessing that one of you guys is going to pick Luke Kennard. So I'm going to go with Matt Jones, who played all 45 minutes and – you know let's not diminish what a what a feat what an accomplishment that is he was in the game every single second of the game um uh, he, he, his offense wasn't super efficient 6 for 19 um although that's better than duke shot as a team uh, but um he uh, I, I really felt like there were some stretches in the first half especially where um he he carried us to a large extent when we were really really struggling to find points um anywhere on the floor um i thought he played a very gritty tough game. He played very good defense, um, uh, you know, on on the perimeter players for Utah. Um, So I'm going to go, you know, maybe a little bit outside the box and and pick Matt Jones, mostly because I'm sure one of you is going to pick Luke Kennard. Sam, are you going to pick Luke Kennard? Uh,
2: Yeah, I'm going to pick Luke Kennard. Uh, Going into the game, I think that he had one game before it. It might have been against Utah State. Where he had a good game, um, but he looked really strong in this game, scoring from a lot of different places. Uh, looked like he belonged on the court, and um, hopefully this this offense is what we see from him going forward. I was talking to one of my friends last night about guys on this team and how they compare to guys from the past, and I think that you know, short of making the like racial and shape comparison, I think that Luke Kennard is has a lot of the same. Uh, positive qualities that John Shire had as a player. You know, he's he's a little bit tall. He's but he doesn't have the the wingspan. Um, he can score really well. He's pretty crafty, and I think he's going to end up being like a bigger version of John Shire. Um, it's going to take him a little longer to do it. I think Shire was really productive his freshman year, but um, similar kind of player. I expect Luke Kennard to be a, a, an impactful scorer all over the court.
1: You know, you you mentioned his points. He also had eight. He led the team rebounding eight rebounds, five of them offensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, great effort on his part.
2: And yeah. he's, he's one of those guys who maybe you don't think should ever lead the team in rebounds, but in a weird game like this, I think, where Jefferson is missing, um, you know, Luke Kennard's kind of a big guy, and, and he's big enough, I think, to mix it up with, you know, lower-tier team. I mean, not that Utah's a lower-tier team, but that, you know, against non-elite bigs, so if, if Pirtle and Plumlee are matched up against each other and the rest of the guys are what they are, um, you can see Kennard being big and strong enough to get those rebounds.
0: Yeah, and, and, my, and my player of the week or, or game is actually also uh, Luke Kennard. Um, on the rebounds, I like – basically, he was very scrappy on the outside. There's a lot of rebounds that kind of went up into the air because they were, you know, long shots that instead of rebounding long, they rebounded straight up. And Ingram or Plumlee would would try to get it away from Pirtle and tip it back out, and he was able to hustle to a lot of those loose balls. So I think he had a great game uh, – offensively especially you know the loose the the intangibles if you will um and that's something we're going to need moving forward so let's get into parting shots uh i know jason has a parting shot so jason i'll start with you
1: uh yeah so i'm not sure how many folks uh noticed this but uh last night monday night we're recording this again tuesday morning i'm sure we'll have the podcast posted by friday or saturday uh <laughs> but last... that.
2: i'm not i'm not on the editing team so i'm not gonna I'm not going to knock the uh, posting time.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, In any event, last night, Monday night, Lance Thomas, uh, former Duke basketball player, Lance Thomas, um, and I'm not sure if this is a sign of the apocalypse or something like that because I never, 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 I never would have thought Lance Thomas would become the NBA player he's become. It's just last night he was nine for nine from the field for the New York Knicks, including three for three from three-point range. He had 24 points in 27 minutes. That's a pretty good Is day. that three
2: more threes than he had in his Duke career?
1: I, I, I bet yeah. it is. It's and, more than uh, that. <laughs> so, so y'all ready for – it was his sixth straight game in double figures for the Knicks, his uh, eighth time in double figures in the past nine games. In the month of December, in the month of December, Lance, Lance Thomas, who – I don't know – What do you think Lance Thomas averaged when he was at Duke? Maybe like six or seven points a game? Maybe?
2: I think maybe his senior year he was up to like eight.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Lance Thomas is averaging in the month of December in the NBA, the National Basketball Association, averaging almost 13 points a game. um, And he's shooting 53% from three-point range. And he's taken like two or three three three-pointers a game. He had a game against Dallas recently where he took five three-pointers. I mean, he's he's shooting a pretty fair bit. He's hitting 53% of his three-pointers. Lance Thomas couldn't hit a shot outside of five feet when he was at Duke. This is a a great credit to the work that he has put in. And anyone who says Duke doesn't produce good NBA players, Lance Thomas, baby. That's my point. I
2: I saw some commentary last night on Twitter from a few different NBA people being like, you know what? Lance Thomas is a good NBA player, and he's really smart, and he knows where to go, and all these things, and, and we have to stop being, like, amazed by, you know, this the fact that the fifth best starter on that 2010 team has turned out to be the, the best NBA player in the bunch. And it's all those games that we played at Madison Square
0: Garden that probably definitely. prepared him. Probably <laughs> you <NBA>. go,
2: right? <laughs> he was in like 12 of them. So, yeah. Uh, Sam, do you have any party shots? Yeah. Um, Justice Winslow made a comment recently. I think it was on Instagram that Wickie, with the P- got him through uh, high school and definitely through Duke. Uh, so a couple of things. One, Justice Winslow never graduated from Duke. He only made it through a year. He may have taken a little more than a year's worth of classes. So, Justice, I look forward to you coming back and Wikipedia-ing your way um, to that that degree. Um, but second of all, uh, people were dumping on him because he was using Wikipedia to do research, and Wikipedia is great. I also use Wikipedia to get through Duke, and my teachers never complained, or my professors never complained about it. Uh, granted, I was an engineer, so that I didn't have so much usefulness but um, shout out to Justice Winslow and shout out to Wikipedia. Make a donation. Uh, hey, by the way, I, I, didn't like I didn't
0: use Wikipedia to get through
1: college because yeah, Wikipedia it didn't wasn't exist around. That, right. Right. It, it wasn't around law school there, either. So. There was no internet. I had to use the library. What is that? The what? Yeah, I know. Books. B-O-O-K-S. Look it up on the internet. You'll know what it Don't is. have one. <laughs> oh, Wait. I actually want to comment something about this because I heard a lot of people like, oh my God, he's Wikipedia. I thought Wikipedia was not allowed. All of a sudden, you can't use it as a source. Um, so I have a friend, by the way, who is a, – a, a, he's also a former Duke guy um, who's on like the Wikimedia Foundation and stuff. He's very – he's kind of high up in the Wikipedia world. Um, and I said to him when this came out, I said, you know – the way I tell my kids to use Wikipedia is you go, you read the article, and when you see a fact that you think is important that you want to include in your paper, Wikipedia almost always has at the bottom of the page footnotes that, tell, that have links to where that fact came from. And if and I tell my kids, if you can find that fact from another source from a newspaper or whatever where it came from, then go ahead and use it. And then you're not citing Wiki. And my friend said that's exactly how they how Wikipedia expects people to use it. You don't necessarily trust what Wikipedia says as a source, but you use Wikipedia as a place to get to the sources that are more trustworthy. Right. So good for
2: Justice Winslow. Exactly. Yes, he,
1: He's using it the right way. It's fine.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that's that's also how I used it when I had to cite or when I when I when I was doing research and it happened upon Wikipedia for research in college uh, because that functionality did exist when I was there. I am not that old yet.
0: Yeah. Well, my parting shot is we're going back to football. You know, when the team comes out on Saturday for the Pinstripe Bowl, they are going to look sweet as always. But there's going to be a little twist. Uh, they are coming out in their blue uniforms, their blue pants and a white helmet but instead of the iron duke d they have a new decal which is one of the old blue devils from back in the 60s and if you guys have seen a picture uh, of it i know we've talked about it on the forums it looks awesome uh it, it's going to look sweet uh it, it harpens back to i believe we wore the same decal back in the mid 60s uh just after um the cotton bowl victory in 1961 uh, but we're gonna look sweet in this little retro helmet. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw it, but I loved it, and I'm really, really looking forward to seeing it on the field on Saturday.
2: They're really. Dope. It is cra- it is
0: crazy looking. It is it is just out there. Yeah, it's not even out there. It's 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 one of those old old probably four four incarnations of the of the Blue Devil logo that we had way back when. I've um, seen this and logo. We've seen before. it before,
2: yeah. I've definitely seen it before, and I've seen like official gear with it before, but I've never seen it so prominently displayed. As right. I think it'll now. be the first
0: time in like 50 years that we've used it. So. Yeah.
2: And it and, and the version that they used is like kind of oversized looking. So mm. it, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty scary.
0: Yeah. But it's gonna look sweet, and and we'll look sweet wearing it, especially when they're hoisting that pinstripe bull trophy. I keep saying that. Hoist the trophy, guys. Uh, but with that, I think we can wrap it up now uh, for everyone. We, uh, Jason, Sam right here on my couch, and myself, Donald Wine, uh, thank you guys so much. We look forward to seeing you. We will be taking a week or two off uh, to celebrate Christmas and, and the New Year. So from all of us, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we will see you in 2016. Duke Ban, take us out.